Search engine optimization, or SEO, is the art of getting to the top of the Google search results so people find you. If people can't find your business, how do they come to you to buy? But this world of SEO is a little bit mysterious. There's a lot of myths. There's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of information. How do you actually get your business to the top of Google? The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. With me today, I have Henry Nicholson from The Rebel Business School. Henry, welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> it was a, a very a very low energy hello from Henry Nicholson. <laughs> Henry was actually a web developer before he joined Pop-Up Business School, which is now Rebel Business School, and he's been working on websites. You also have a side hustle doing websites because we don't pay you quite enough, don't you, Henry? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I had quite a low energy hello, because I'm a web designer and we're all boring people. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't spread that rumor. <laughs> Web developers are humans and lovely too. But Henry's got some skills in this area at a sort of intro level. It's actually one of these subjects that you can go as deep as you want to. So Henry and I's objective today is just to give you an overview to get you thinking about this, of what it is and how it works. So Henry, what is SEO? What is this thing? So SEO or search engine optimization is basically it's the fancy word of saying how far up the Google search or the search engine you come. And obviously by you, I mean your website. And it's it's one of these big things. And, you know, every single Rebel Business School course that we run, one of the biggest things that people ask us about is how do I get my business to come up in the Google search? And sometimes it's how do I come up at the top? Sometimes it's how do I just get in there because that's a whole different thing altogether and i think actually it's it's one of the biggest fears that people have when building a website or putting their business online is that there is this whole mystic art of how you come up in the search engine and how your business needs to look for google to think it's any good well it's true henry i had exactly this feeling whilst i was launching my business i paid a web developer a big amount for a uh, uh website, it got stuck online and nothing happened. No one came to me. I thought it was my golden ticket to customers coming towards me. Like I'd paid a grand for this website. That's a lot of money back in the day when like you're young. It was a lot of money, Henry. <laughs> I paid all this money. I was expecting people to come to me and no one came and I was annoyed. And actually my reflection later on is, well, I didn't do any of the work driving traffic. I didn't do the work to go up the search engine optimization listings. Like I didn't do any of this. And it's actually a lot of work to make this happen. Before we go into the amount of work, let's just broaden the term for a second. Tell me, like, what are the biggest search engines? Because we're talking a lot about Google, but actually there's some really big search engines other than Google out there. What are the biggest search engines? Yeah, so you know, Google obviously is is the main one. Google is the one that we use for most things, and that spreads across all of their apps. So that is on Google Maps, that is in YouTube because Google own YouTube. But on top of that, 
you know, when we think of search engines, a lot of people will go, ah, what about Bing or (laughs) Ask Jeeves or Yahoo? Is Ask Jeeves even a thing anymore? (laughs) And actually, search engines aren't just restricted to things like that. Facebook is a search engine. Airbnb is a search engine. Etsy is a search engine. Every website that has a search bar in it that allows you to find something, a listing, a business, a product, they are search engines in their own right. So actually, you know, the the stuff we're talking about, we're going to focus on Google because again, it's the main one. It's where a lot of people will go to, to find things. But this stuff applies across the board to any search engine on any website. So it's exactly the same game. It's slightly different bits, but it's exactly the same game, whether it's YouTube, Amazon, Google, all of these different things. It's a search engine. Amazon is a giant search engine for products, and you want to be the one that appears at the top. And it's got so much like Google, you can now pay on Amazon to have your product appear at the top. Like It's it's a search engine for products. That's what it is. So let's actually start with like paid advertising versus search engine optimization. Because the very last episode of the podcast, Henry, was Ryan Stubblefield. And the title was SEO is dead, which is quite a bold title. (laughs) What are your thoughts on paid advertising versus search engine optimization? Should we bother? Like, is this even worth it? This is a big question. And we get this quite a lot at, at our courses, but also, you know, across the entire web design conversations paid advertising versus SEO, what should I go for? And my gut feel, paid advertising, We and we do a lot of this, by the way, for the Rebel School, for every single course that we run, we will chuck 100, 200 pounds into Facebook and get some paid advertising going out to the areas that we want to engage. My gut feel is that paid advertising is an extremely valuable and brilliant way of getting your business in front of people. But it's probably, <laughs> there's always a but, there's always a but, it's probably not the right place to start. And my reason for that is because to make paid advertising work perfectly for you is you really, really need to understand exactly who it needs to be in front of and the message that they need to see in order to get them to do something. Whereas if you don't know that, you're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time engaging the wrong people. So this kind of goes back to the overarching message that you've spoken about a lot in earlier episodes, but Alan, is about you need to understand your audience. You need to know exactly who it is you're trying to reach. And actually, you need to know exactly what it is you're trying to offer. And you need to know what problem you're solving and, and all of this kind of stuff. Because the amount of people that we've met and this reminds me of, of um, one lady in particular who came to an event in Taunton, which is deepest, darkest Southwest England. And this lady came in and she goes like, ignore the course. There's one thing that I need to desperately solve with you now. I've spent a thousand pounds on Facebook advertising and nothing has happened. And I was like, okay, that's a lot of money for nothing. So let's figure out what's happened here. What are you trying to do? So I said, okay, what, are you paying for? What do you want these people to do? So once they see your advert, what's the next action? She goes, I just want them to like my Facebook page. Just that. That's all I want. I want to build my... So, you know, already I'm going a thousand pounds for some Facebook likes. That's quite impressive. How has it gone? How many have you got? And she said, none. I've not had one. No, not one. So I said, okay, that's interesting. 
maybe it's the words you've used. Maybe you've used the wrong pictures or, you know, maybe that's something we need to look at. So we had a quick look. We actually opened up the laptop and we, we had a quick look. None of that was the issue. The advert was pretty good. The picture was, was fine. Facebook weren't suppressing anything. It was all good. Like Facebook was doing its thing. But here's the problem. Her Facebook page was set to private. <laughs> so people were clicking on her ad, but they couldn't find the page because it didn't exist. It was private. But Facebook don't tell you that. And, and this is the thing. If we'd have done some organic marketing, if we'd have spent more time going into groups, telling people this thing existed, we'd have learned that for a lot smaller of a fee. And by that, I Free. mean nothing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we can spend a £1,000. We might get a result, but I can almost guarantee it won't be the right one. We need to do some of that organic stuff to actually understand what it is that we're paying for so that we can get a better return on the investment that we put in. And this is not the first time this has happened, Henry. This happened at the Reading pop-up. This has happened several times. The interesting bit with entrepreneurs that come to us is when they start, they always fight me on niche marketing, Henry. Everyone does. They always fight me. If you're listening to this now, you're probably gristling. Why do I have to niche market, Alan? Like, stop fighting me. It's going to help. Niche marketing is the bit. For paid advertising, I always say to people, you need a very specific offer for a very specific audience. If you have those two things, then it might work for you. If you don't even know who your audience is, like, how do you know? And people go, well, I know who my audience is. It's women between 18 and 60. That's not specific. That's not a niche market. I'm going to get grumpy with you listening now. Like you need to work out who the niche market is. Otherwise you're throwing your money away. And how do you work out what your niche market is? Like we've done a lot of this. We had the episode recently with Jeremy talking about this specifically. Like you just come up with your first best guess of three audiences, then put the offer in front of them, whether it's through Facebook groups, Twitter, your friends, ringing people. I don't care. Do it old school. Put it in front of them. See if they buy. If they buy, that's a clue that that might be your target market. Then you can accelerate through paid advertising. But it's like putting gasoline or petrol on the floor. If you don't know your target market, there's no spark to ignite, to accelerate, and you'll just be pouring your resources, your gasoline on the floor. If you've already done this and you've got some customers, you've got some money coming in, there's a spark, you know where it is. Then it's like pouring gasoline on the spark and you'll get a bigger fire. But if you don't know who your target market is, there's not even a spark. Like, wait until you've got a spark, find some first customers and then you'll know, then you can go out bigger, then you can work out where you're going. So hopefully that gives you some ideas on niche marketing. And I know we haven't even, Henry and I haven't even got on to the SEO stuff, but like, this is really important. This is the groundwork that makes all marketing work. If you don't know your niche, none of what we're going to talk about actually works for you. So if we've got a niche, Henry, give me an example of a niche market. And then what would we do with that from there? So I've actually got uh, an example from my own experience. And this was from my first business, which, Alan, you were alongside me whilst I was building, which was One Planet Apparel, the clothing oh, brand. T-shirt business, yeah. Or the classic, the classic first business. Everyone launches a t-shirt business when they're getting going, Henry, and I'm glad to see you're on the traditional entrepreneur journey. Good work. 
And this is the thing, it's a t-shirt business or a product-based business is some of the easiest to experiment with because you get direct feedback of what works and what doesn't because there's something that they can buy instantly. So actually, if you want to experiment and you haven't got an idea, try that. That might be a good starting point for you. So here's what we did. So when we started the business, we built the website. It was gorgeous. We'd figured out the products. They were brilliant. They were the best t-shirts that you've ever seen. And I still, to this day, I'm actually wearing one now. I still believe they are the nicest t-shirts I've ever seen. But here's the thing. I'm the only one that wears them. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen a couple of other people wearing them, Henry. I think you're underdoing yourself. It is mainly your friends though. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But when we started the business, we built the Facebook page, we built the website, we'd set up how everybody was going to order, we'd set up the payment systems. We then threw about 100 quid into Facebook advertising. Uh, At the time, Facebook was the exact place. Now, who do you think, Alan, we targeted that Facebook ad at? Uh, Males between the age of 18 to 45? No, it was broader than that. You're kidding. No, I am not. Hadn't you been on our course by that stage, Henry? Ignore that. Ignore that point. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the thing. This is my £100 lesson on marketing. We'd put that Facebook ad out. We put it for anybody aged 18 to 40. And that was it. Do you know how many people... Anybody. In the the UK, to be fair. So we weren't going global just yet. That was still to come. (laughs) Still is still to come. How many people do you think there are in the UK that are between the age of 18 and 40? Probably 20 million. A lot. It's a lot. (laughs) More than I had t-shirts anyway. But here's the thing. We were trying to put marketing in front of such a vast audience that nothing landed. We didn't make a single sale from that. And we had huge, huge reach. It got in front of hundreds of thousands of people, but nothing happened because the marketing that an 18-year-old is going to relate to isn't the same as marketing that a 40-year-old is going to relate to. I know that because I'm now a (laughs) 40-year-old. Oh, Alan, I've known you for too long. (laughs) So I guess back to your original question of like an example of a niche audience. So our actual audience, we were going for young people, in quotes, young people. So basically people between the age of 20 and 25. We went very, very specific. Even more specific than that, they were tattooed or were a tattoo artist Mm. and or they were skateboarders. Okay. So suddenly when you look at the age range, that five-year age range, and bear in mind, we started focusing on our local area first because that's where we could have the greatest impact. We understood it. We We knew the ground. Suddenly when you're looking at just people with tattoos, and I mean like big full-on tattoos, not just the the small one on the wrist that you get and that's you done. I mean, you know, the sleeves, the people with tattoos up their necks, that kind of extreme. And the tattoo artists, suddenly our market went from millions of people to a thousand really likely people in the area. Suddenly our job got much easier. We didn't have to push nearly as hard. Then you can find the people, you can reach them. Yeah, makes it a lot easier. So how does this niche marketing stuff actually tie into SEO? How does this actually work into SEO, Henry? The whole way that this works is that you need to understand exactly who it is that you are trying to engage with, because then the content that you design, the website that you design, 
and the things that they are going to be searching for suddenly become a lot more clear. If you're focusing on a specific group, let's say we're looking at parents aged 30 to 40, uh, so they're probably with young kids, again, generalizing, parents aged 30 to 40, we suddenly know what kind of thing they're going to be searching for because they're, they're in a certain aspect of their life, right? Then we just need to tailor the stuff that we're doing with our website to that search, to the, the sort of words that they're going to be using to search for. Knowing your audience gives you a better understanding, which enables you to put better quality and more valuable things online. And that is what Google are looking for. Google want to push people. I say Google, any search engine. The aim is that they're providing value. So they want to push the customer through to the most valuable endpoint as quickly as possible. Which it needs to be tied up. So I guess what we're saying here, Henry, is people are searching all day long in that search bar on Google or other search engines. They're typing stuff in. We as content providers, and I don't really care whether you're a product business, a service business, or a content business, we all need to provide content online that fits those things. We as a content provider have to answer those people's questions and give them relevant content to what they're searching for. And that's actually why niche marketing is important, because if you don't know your niche, how do you know what they're searching for? And if you don't know what they're searching for, how do you write a web page that answers their question? How do you write a content with those words in that answers their question, that gives them what they need? That's the key bit. So the question for everyone listening to this, I'd love you to do this now, is work out what you think your market is searching for. And well, I guess step one actually is who's your market. <laughs> so maybe start there if you don't know who your market is. Start thinking, is it this type of person? Is it that type of person? Start defining the market. And we've done a lot of episodes with Katie Coombs. We did one on busting the myths of marketing. And I'd love you to listen to that one. It's episode 18 of season two. It's already out. We did the episode with Jeremy on target marketing, which is episode 19. Simon and I did episode 20, which is 10 ways to build market your business for free. Like all of those episodes talk about niche marketing, define your niche market, get that written down. And then we've got to work out what they're searching for. Henry, how do we know what people are searching for? Like if I've got a business set up, I've got my niche market, how do I next? What are the tools I use? How do I work out? Do I just divine it? Do I use my crystal ball and just like divine? People must be searching for this. Like, is there any way to actually know? There isn't ever a way to know exactly what anybody is thinking at any one time. <laughs> I've been trying with you for years, Henry. Still I don't know what you're thinking at times. It's like, what the hell is he doing? Alan, I don't know what I'm thinking most of the time. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen next? Um, and as painful as that statement is, it is undoubtedly true that we will never, ever have a 100% clear vision of what people are looking for at any one time. That will change. It will change day in, day out. It will change based on the economy. It will change based on what Elon Musk decides he's going to do next. You know, it, there's so many factors in this. We just need to make sure that we're staying relevant. So there are a couple of tools you can use. One that I do quite like is called Answer the Public. Have you heard of that one, Al? Answerthepublic.com. Yes. Mm. 
you type in your first best guess of what it is, and then it gives you a whole bunch of ideas as to what people are searching for. And I understand it actually scrapes the data off the front end of Google. So it's actually showing you what the most searched for questions and terms are to get you going. Yeah, exactly. And you just type in a topic and it will give you all of the questions that people ask about that topic. So, uh, for example, we could put in cake baking or baking or whatever, cakes. And then suddenly we'd get all of the how questions. How do I make a cake? How do I do this? How do I do that? Or all of the why questions, the what questions, etc. So tools like that exist. So that is answerthepublic.com. That is an excellent way of giving you some new ideas of what people might actually be searching for. And it's and it, again, it's driven on data. So that does give you a really good idea. There are other things like Google Trends. Google Trends is it's tied to Google's paid advertising service. But what it lets you do is search for or put in a search term, search for something, and it will tell you how many people are searching for it, which is it is valuable. It's useful. Yeah. So that's a really good way of, I guess, measuring your ideas. So you want to think, you know, you've written this list of what you think people might be searching for for your business go to these tools and type them in. That will provide you some data of what people are searching for and if they're searching for that term and whether you're on the right lines or not. So you've got answer the public, Google Trends. I'll just throw in a third because I think it's a useful one, Henry. I think the simplest way is actually just to go to Google and start typing a few letters in and then it brings down that drop-down menu Mm. of the things people are searching for. That gives you an idea of the most searched for terms It's a really simple one. It's really easy. Just try it. So if you are a photography business, start typing in photography or baby photographies or portraits or whatever it is and see what comes up. That will give you an idea of what people are searching for. Absolutely. And actually, the one that overarches all of this for me is go and ask a customer. A real life person. You want me to go and talk to a person, Henry? A real, a real person, like an actual person <laughs> that might give you money. It is absolutely incredible. And I, this happens to me still, you know, and I, I've been running my web design agency for about five years now. This still amazes me that when I ring a potential client, a small business or, a, you know, somebody who's starting up, I will ring them and go, how did you find me? You know, what, what are you searching for? What is it you're actually looking for? Brilliant question. I will always 100% of the time be amazed with what they tell me. <laughs> yeah, because like, I would never have thought to put that as my keywords. Exactly, exactly. But th- the reason for that, the, the reason why that happens is because we're so tied up in what we're doing. We know the vocabulary, we know what it is we do, and we are so focused on what we want to be delivering that actually we haven't got the outsider's perspective of what I'm looking for. Here's the problem I'm solving. For example, we get a lot of uh, Reiki healers or life coaches. Those are two separate things. I know they're not the same. Uh, (laughs) At the business school. You mean coming along to our events? Yes. Yeah. So at at the Rebel School, we get a lot of Reiki healers or life coaches or massage therapists. The challenge with those businesses is that there are such certain vocabulary whilst you're doing it. So the type of treatment you know, the the solution to the problems. The customers don't know those. The customers don't use the same vocabulary as us. 
as the business owners, we need to suddenly realize if I was a masseuse, my customers are probably searching for why does my back hurt? Or how do I stop lower back pain? Or home remedies for back pain? Whereas as a masseuse, you might think people are searching for, this is going to really test my knowledge of masseusing. <laughs> you know, we, we might think that people are searching for the therapy in particular. So we're looking for, you know, hot oil massage or hot stone massage or neck and back massage, et cetera, et cetera. People might not be searching. Which some people will. Some people will. But it's normally a smaller amount. The one I would always use if we're building on that one, Henry, is massage plus area, wherever I am. Mm. I would do massage Basingstoke or massage Mexico, like I'm in Oaxaca or whatever it is. And that is what I would search for. And like the big one I always do is breakfast, Henry. Like, you know, I love a good breakfast out and a coffee. I go straight to Google and I type in top breakfast Oaxaca. Uh, that's where I'm staying right now. And then I look for the list of the best breakfast restaurants. And that's what I'm searching for because I need food. And if you're a restaurant, you need to show up for that best breakfast here and location. That's what people are searching for. So this is the bit about getting in people's heads is go speak to the real customers and say, when you are looking for X, what do you type? What do you search? Or maybe actually just watch them sit behind them creepily and stare over their shoulder as they type into Google what they're searching for. <laughs> or people who've already bought you, like Henry said, actually ring the last 10 customers you've had and say, look, I'm just doing this. I'd love you to help me. What did you search for when you found me? Because that's going to help me go forwards. And it also gives you a cheeky excuse to reconnect with your past customers and maybe ask them if they want to buy another service, product, whatever it is you're selling them. Like speak to people. And it's surprising. If people like your business and you, they will want to help you. And they'll actually want to give you because everyone wants businesses they like to succeed because then they stay in business and I can buy more from them. I genuinely want the businesses I love to succeed because then I can keep using them and keep getting their services. So I'm happy to help. I'm happy to pay when it's a business I love. If it's a business I don't like, <laughs> I won't respond to your bits. Like sometimes these big companies send me emails afterwards and go, here's the feedback form. How did you find out about me? I rarely fill those in if I've had a bad experience. Well, unless I've had a really bad experience, but don't get me started, Henry. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to bring that up. I know. So this is the bit. Speak to real customers, find out what they're searching for, use the tools Henry's spoken about, answer the public, just typing it into Google, speak to real life customers, like work out what people are actually searching for. Then where do we go from there, Henry? What do we do with these terms? What do we do with this information? Where do we stick our keywords? Where you should stick them is my favorite topic of every Rebel Business School course. <laughs> I'm slightly uncomfortable at the moment. I don't know where Henry's going with this. Yes. Like we've come up with these things that people are searching for. Like what do I do with them? So this is the bit that actually changes quite regularly. I say quite regularly. I mean, every couple of years. Now, historically, when I was working as a web designer, so sort of six, seven years ago in a proper web design company, you know, a proper one with an office and, and computers and people. Fancy. I know it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't very fancy at all. Back in the day, you used to collect all of these keywords or search terms, things that people are searching for 
and you would just paste them into a certain box in your website and you would put them in the coding and it would be throughout the back end of your website. And that was good enough because that's how Google used to work. It wasn't busy enough. You know, it wasn't as easy to just build a website 10 years ago. So Google would just look for the exact phrase that people were searching for. And then it would just show you the websites that mentioned it the most. And that's when we had people that would put a white background on their website and then put a load of white text where they would copy and paste a thousand times over the same keywords. Well, those were the days, Henry. Those were the days when you could game the system. (laughs) But unfortunately, Google has become a lot smarter than that as society. Well, fortunately. Well, yes, fortunately. Depends how you look at it. Um, Because Google is trying to deliver value. And because we rely on search engines so much these days to find the things that we need, they are constantly having to make sure that they are giving you the most valuable thing. That's not necessarily just seeing the key phrases repeated. It's a mixture of things. So one of these things is Google does need to see the search term, the phrase, the keyword in the website somewhere, but not just as a phrase on its own. It needs to be a topic. It needs to be content. It needs to be value because otherwise it doesn't know why it's sending you there. So, for example, a blog. Blogs are an excellent way, excellent way of driving traffic to your website because blogs act as a smaller, lightweight page. Google is much more likely to show you a blog with a date stamp because it's relevant and it's current. It's it's new. So you're running a business. You want to have content on your website that people are searching for not just the keyword on its own. It needs to be a, an actual piece of content, whether that's a video, a blog, a page, whatever it is, you need to have that. So for example, if you are offering a service, well, let's say your restaurant, let's go back to the breakfast example. If you are a restaurant offering breakfast in the morning, you want to have a whole page dedicated to your breakfast menu. And probably on there, you want to say, oh, by the way, this is the best breakfast in Oaxaca. You see what I mean? Because then Google will read it. Google can see this stuff and it will go, oh, actually, yeah, it is. And they've backed it up. Here's the whole menu. Here's value as quickly as possible. That's one part of where this stuff can go. So we take the keywords and we build the articles. They get built into the title, like best breakfast in Oaxaca might be the title. And then you go, there's some text that says, you might be wondering where the best breakfast in Oaxaca is. Well, let me tell you, here's the kind of things we eat in Oaxaca. Here's the kind of place you can go to. There's some information, there's some value. I get excited. And then there's a map of where I can go and get fed. Like, that sounds like a good page to me. And it's also going to come up in the search terms. And you're using those search terms in the title in the different bits. There's a map of Oaxaca, which is going to help because, well, we're searching for Oaxaca and I've picked a town with a difficult name for everyone to spell. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I should just move somewhere else, Henry. But it's that, is taking what people are searching for and building into the pages that actually answers their question, that actually answers their thing. So if I was doing this for the Rebel Business School, I might write a page that says, how do I start a business in the UK? How do I start a business in the US? Now, that's actually quite a difficult term to come up to the top of because there's so many people writing stuff for that. But that's the kind of thing people are searching for. That's the kind of thing people are working on. And I could go more specific with my terms if I did how to start a food business UK. That's going to have less competition than how to start a business UK because it's a more narrow subject. I could actually write an article on each one. How do I start a food truck 
UK? How do I start at this? And I could go more niche with my bits. And this is the niche marketing. The more niche you are, the easier it is to show up on the Google rankings. The less niche you are, the harder it is because the more competition there is. Yes. And this also goes back to your audience. Would you rather come up in a thousand searches for people who might be your customer? Or would you rather come up in a hundred searches of people that are your customer? This is where being niche is really valuable because we're not saying don't sell to a wider audience. We're saying focus on one because it will make your life easier and it will make it make more sense for them because they need to see something that they relate. When they search for it, they need to see the answer, which is going to then make them click on it. That's where sales then takes over because when we're pushing them through the funnel. But this whole search engine piece is that they're searching for something. We need to make sure that that is on our website, whatever that might be. And we need to make sure that it is exactly what they're after and as valuable as possible because then Google's going to put it up there. They're going to click on it and everybody's generally going to be happier. Okay, so this is great, Henry. I've worked out my niche market. I've looked at what they might be searching for and made a list of things they're searching for. I've written a couple of blog articles about it. I've worked on my website about it. Does that mean people are going to show up tomorrow? Have I done it? Absolutely not. Again, this is now the second myth of search engine optimization is that it will happen overnight because I can (laughs) promise you from years of experience, it doesn't. It's a long-term play. It is a long-term play. It is really, it's a long-term play. This is why you can pay somebody as an SEO expert to do it for you because it's not a quick fix. This stuff takes time. You need to test it. You need to revisit it. Really, you you need to have an element of understanding of what these search engines are using. What are they looking at? Because again, it changes frequently. If you rely on SEO for your business, it's going to take a long time because that's like waiting for somebody to walk past your shop. That's like waiting for somebody to ask you if they can buy something. You can't rely on SEO to build your business because it's just going to take too long. You can't rely on paid advertising to grow your business because it's just going to be too expensive. We've got to do other stuff. We've got to be active. We have to tell people that this this thing exists. And there's some creative ways we can do that, which I've got a couple of notes that we can go over. But the, the key thing here is that SEO is not the answer to your problems. It will help probably in a year or two's time, but it's not going to solve your problems now. It's not going to launch your business. That is up to you. So my favorite saying, as you know, Henry, is if you're waiting for other people, you'll be waiting a long time long time. I hate waiting. Let's get out there and build it. And actually, we are planning an episode together, Henry, which is 10 ways to drive traffic. So in two episodes time, episode 24 will be 10 ways to drive traffic, which Henry and I will do, which this is the bit of like, how do you actually get people to visit your website and look at your offer without using search engine optimization? And I guess my advice is, this is something you should absolutely do a little bit each week. So it's maybe spend half an hour on SEO each week, maybe 40 minutes and keep developing it because over the years you run your business, this will become very valuable, but it's not going to build it to the start and it's not going to get you where you want to go quickly, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do any of it. And I think quite often there's very binary thinking in this marketing world and binary thinking means ones or zeros. It is either X or Y. It is either paid for advertising or search engine optimization. It is either going to see customers face-to-face or doing it all online. Nothing in life is binary. 
It is not one or zero. You can do a bit of SEO whilst you do other stuff. And then you can do a little bit of testing, paid advertising. Like you can do all of these things, but do some marketing mini experiments as you go to see what works. Problem with SEO is you can't really do a marketing mini experiment because it might take you a couple of years. It's not really mini at that stage. It's just something you need to start working on in the background. But there is something we can do fairly quickly in SEO to get going, isn't there, Henry? There's a, there's a few things that you can do. And, and these are as you're building the website, as you're setting this thing up. And I've got a couple that we'll sort of run through them. So one of them, which seems like a no brainer, but it's actually more important than I'd like to admit, is you need to make sure your website loads somewhat quickly. Uh oh. I know. <laughs> And what I mean by that is, you know, when somebody clicks on it through Google or through the link that you've emailed them, it needs to load instantly. It needs to be within three seconds, they've got the website in front of them. And there's a few reasons for this. One, people get bored very, very quickly. So you need it to just be instant and accessible for them. The other part of this is that Google favor lighter weight websites. They favor websites that load quickly. The reason for this is because most people most people across the world will be using a mobile, they'll be using a tablet, they'll be using something other than a desktop, because believe it or not, we don't use those much anymore. So it needs to load quickly, because people are using mobile data, they're using internet through their cell provider. So having a fast load time is extremely quickly. How can you do that? The main thing here is the images that you use. Now, I know that it's no secret that you should have a lot of pictures on your website. People are visual. They need to see things to understand them. But don't upload the picture that the photographer gave you because I can guarantee that's, that's going to be... 37 megabytes, yeah. Literally, literally. It will take years for it, this thing to load. You need to get a smaller version. Now, there are ways you can do this. You can. There are websites. I don't know any off the top of my head, but there are websites you can upload them to to just compress the image, make it smaller. Do that. Make sure that this stuff loads quickly. It's the same for videos as well. A lot of websites will have videos on their homepage. It will be, you know, the first thing you'll see is a video. Embed it in YouTube. Put a YouTube video in there. Don't upload the video directly to the website because if it's a four or five minute long thing, it's going to take a long time to load, especially if it's one of, you know, a high quality of 4K video. It's going to take so long. So making sure that the website is light enough to load quickly will work. And there are ways you can test this as well. Google do have a service where you can type in your domain name and it will tell you how quickly it loads and whether it's good or bad. I can't remember for the life of me what it's called, but search for that. Search for um, Google site testing. That will come up and it will show you how well your website is currently doing. So load time is one of them. Regular updates is another. Google like to see things that are happening regularly. They like to see things that are current. If your website was only updated three years ago, it's not very likely that Google's going to show it to anybody because it doesn't believe that it's relevant anymore. And it probably isn't, let's be honest. The language that you used three years ago probably is very different to the language you use now. The customers that you're engaging three years ago have probably moved on and they've changed. So having regular updates, a blog, for example, count as this regularly updating pages to make sure the images are up to date, the text and all that kind of stuff. All of this stuff is extremely valuable. Now, the third one that I'm going to talk about, which is probably the easiest and the best one to do currently, 
is by Google themselves. It is called Google My Business. Oh, this is my favorite secret <laughs> weapon, Henry. This is my favorite secret weapon. And I think I fully became aware of the power of this from our accountant, Emma May. She is phenomenal. We love Emma. Uh, she's been on a couple of the earlier episodes talking about tax and running your business finances. Emma did the Google My Business thing, filled it out, added pictures, got reviews, and worked on the terms accountant Wokingham. She lives in Wokingham. That's where accountant's business is. And she got up those rankings. She's actually number one on those rankings for accountant Wokingham because she did that. And that has been worth one lead coming into her business, maybe every day or every other day. That's a huge amount of leads because people are actually searching for accountants in Wokingham. That's what they search for. And she's done this through Google My Business. What do you say to people about Google My Business, Henry? What do you do? Google My Business, when it first came around a few years ago, was fairly limited. The only reason it existed was for Google Maps. Yes. That was its sole purpose. Now, they've been working on it. They've developed it. It is essentially a shop front for your business. You can actually sell products using Google Maps now. They have developed it hugely hugely to influence the search rankings because they want to be pushing people in front of real businesses. They want to be pushing people to businesses local to them. Believe it or not, Google usually know where you are in the world. Every time you search, <laughs> Big Brother is watching everybody. But the reason that they do this is because they want to give you the most valuable thing ever. If you're searching for breakfast places in Oaxaca, you probably don't even need to put the word Oaxaca on the end. It's going to show you it because it knows you're there. Especially if you're searching through your phone, even your laptop nowadays probably has GPS in it. But my phone, I search regularly through Google Maps on my phone, Henry. I'm walking around town and I go, I want this search. I want that search. It knows exactly where I am. It pulls up the most local businesses. It gives me a list. And if you're not on Google Maps, you're invisible. Like if you literally, you are invisible to people. It used to be where people would walk around the town looking for businesses. I can't be bothered with that. I just want to search on Google Map, find out what's closest and go straight there. If you're not on this, if you're not showing up, you are invisible to your customers. Absolutely. And it's it's totally, totally user-friendly. It is one of the easiest to set up things. All you do is you log into your Google account, say that you want to register your business, and then it will just ask you one at a time, what's the business name? What's the address? What hours are you open? What service do you offer? Have you actually got a location or you are a service-based business? It asks you all of this stuff. And tell you what, you're telling Google that you exist. That is what you're doing. You can't come up in a Google search if Google doesn't even know it's there. Google My Business is a complete way of listing your business so that anyone can find it at any moment. And if you want to see this in action... What I would love you to do right now is pull out your phone, your laptop, doesn't matter what it is, and type in Accountant Wokingham, W-O-K-I-N-G-H-A-M, and see what pops up. And I've just done this. And the first two are adverts. People are paying to be at the top of the list. If people are paying to be at the top of the list, what does it tell you, Henry? That it's hella valuable. Yes, that it's valuable because they're <laughs> getting customers that way. Underneath those two paid ads, there is a map. Because you put a location in the search, it normally brings up the map at the start, which is really interesting. And you look on the map, the first one on the map is an advert. 
someone is paying to be at the top of the list on the advertising bits. And the second one is our accountant, millwoodmay.co. And it's got all of her information in there. She's got 68 five-star reviews, Henry, which is more than any other accountancy in the area. That actually really helps because it is social proof for Google that you're a real business, people like what you do, and you're getting good reviews. How do you get reviews? Well, Emma messaged me. I'm one of her clients. She sent me an email, said, we're setting up our Google My Business. Would you mind writing me a review? Now, I love her business. I love what she does for me. Of course I won't. So I went on Google Maps. I gave her five stars and I wrote a tremendous review. So did other customers. That's how she's got to the top of the organic listings. She's not top of the whole listings because people have paid to be above her, but she's top of the organic listings and that works incredibly well. So if you want to see this stuff, actually what Henry and I are talking about, Google Accountant Wokingham, see what comes up in the list and then click on her listing because it's got pictures, it's got information. She's actually done a great job of filling it out. So I think one of our Henry and I's prime bits of advice is fill out Google My Business for your business. Like get on there. That's one of the quickest ways you can get going on search engine optimization. This is why you'll see restaurants offering discounts for reviews. Sometimes it will be on you know, TripAdvisor or Yelp or one of those services, but a lot of the time it's on Google. You know, leave us a review, show your server, and we'll give you 10% off because they know that that's going to bring them more business. This is why you see this stuff all the time. Now, here's one thing that I do want to draw attention to about those paid ads that come above Emma's accountancy business. Do we trust paid adverts? Uh, (laughs) I have to admit, I tend to scroll past them, Henry, and look to see what actually shows up below. Exactly. And nine times out of 10, that is the case. There obviously are times where people will click on a paid advert. Sometimes they speak directly to you. Paid advertising is a brilliant way of reaching your client. But nine times out of 10, we scroll past them because we know, consciously, we know that people are just paying to be in front of us. Actually, it's the ones that have put in the work, like Emma's accountancy business, just with the number of reviews. We've got social proof. We know that people love that business and we know that they've got a really, really good uh, rating. So we're much more likely to click on that than an advertisement. So I love that, Henry. That is excellent. So look, we've given a lot of information about this. It's a huge subject. We're going to have to do a bit more in the future. We've actually got an episode planned for the coaching series where we're working with Christina on her Google My Business listings on her website. So Henry's going to be back with us and you'll actually get to experience the implementation as we do it. Henry, like, Just summarize, what's the advice for people on getting going with search engine optimization? How do they start? What's the general advice? My general advice is figure out who your customers are and really be niche, like really, really focus on exactly who it is you want to sell to or work with. Figure out who your customer is, figure out what they are searching for. What problem are you solving? What problem do they have? What are they going to look for? What vocabulary are they using? Create some content on your website that solves that problem, whether that's a blog or video, a page, whatever. Put something on your website that shows that you have the solution to their challenge. Then get on Google My Business, create your listing and tell people that your business exists. Drive traffic. Google is only ever going to like websites that people already visit. So you need to drive traffic anyway. So 
pair that with Google My Business, put some useful content on your website and just tell people. That is how you're going to win this game. Henry, thank you so much for your energy and time on this. It's been a fun episode. I do want to say to people, because the last two episodes have been quite conflicting. We've had Ryan Stubblefield talking about SEO is dead. And we've had Henry talking about how do you get going with SEO. I would like to say to you that life is not binary. It's not one or zero. You don't do all SEO or all paid advertising. That's not how the world works. You can work on your search engine optimization in the background and do 30 minutes a week, 40 minutes a week and develop it. You can do some mini experiments with paid advertising after you know your niche market. And we've got an example of that coming up that's going to be on the show with Adam from Craftbox Club, who's putting £200 into Facebook ads. And we're going to track him over two weeks and see what happens. It's really interesting when you do these marketing mini experiments and you test and measure. So we've got that coming up for you. It's not binary. You can do a little bit of each. You can keep working on it. We do realize that when you start your business, there's so much to do. So if there's one thing Henry and I would love you to do, it's set up Google My Business for your business. Like that's going to be your quickest and easiest start. Last thing from me, it may get a bit confusing because the episodes that I've recorded, the last episode with Ryan, I was in Sandhurst in the UK in Berkshire. This episode, I'm in Oaxaca in Mexico. You might be thinking, how is Alan teleporting between these? The episodes were not recorded in order. I recorded a bunch of episodes in different locations, and then I've been figuring out the best order to be able to serve you on the podcast. So please excuse the fact they're not recorded in chronological or geographical order. I'm not teleporting. The date is actually April 26th when we're recording this now. I'm physically in Oaxaca in Mexico. Henry, where are you, if anyone cares? I'm in North London. It is just as lovely as Oaxaca, I promise you. (laughs) Probably doesn't have quite the same food. Um, (laughs) But let's not go there. Let's not compare places. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. Thank you for being part of the team and the journey. Henry and the team at Rebel Business School have a lot of events coming up for you. Henry, where do people find out about Rebel Business School events and what you're doing over there? Uh, The best thing to do is head over to the website, which is therebelschool.com. We have all of the information about our upcoming events and our online content. We know that some of you, if you're in America, aren't too excited about waking up at 4am to join us on a UK time-zoned course. Some of you have anyway, so hats off to you. (laughs) Um, But just head over to our website, therebelschool.com, and we've got a whole bunch of stuff to help you with your business. As always, it is totally free. We don't want to charge you for this stuff. This stuff is accessible. Anybody should be able to start a business, and that's what we are doing for you. Excellent. Now go set up your Google My Business account, get on the map, start your search engine optimization, find some customers, live your dream, have fun, eat some pizza. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.